paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch us through cable or dish or satellite or digital or any of these avenues, they can go to hotm.tv and watch live from anywhere in the world streaming video. They can also watch any of our shows that are archived there dating back to 2006. This week, this very week, we celebrate uh, three full years of doing Heart of the Matter. It's 157 hours where we've talked about Mormonism, most of it documented, uh, historical, uh, some of it my opinion. But we want to take a minute and thank all of you for your support of prayer, for sharing our show with others. Uh, for sending us information that I learn from each and every week, for your financial contributions, uh, which have kept the ministry going. All these things have kept us going. We thank God for each and every one of you because lives have changed. Remember, our purposes from the get-go were to, first and foremost, help people understand who Jesus is relative to Mormonism, to teach them about spiritual rebirth, and then to allow God to lead them in their decision to walk away from the LDS machine. We have volumes of printed evidence that the Lord has uh, blessed this method. Uh, We don't know is how many people have seeds planted in their hearts. How many Latter-day Saints may someday stand up and say to their prophet, look at no more. Come on, let's just get real and cut out this stuff. And we hope that this seed planting will take effect where people will demand for a change. So we praise and trust and thank God. We appreciate you and we hope part of the matter will be able uh, to continue on for years to come. How about a moment in history? On June 18th of 1870, first counselor to the LDS First Presidency, George Albert Smith, spoke to the Salt Lake City School of the Prophets about the evil of self-gratification among Utah Mormons. Ever the pragmatist, Lorenzo Snow, an apostle, then offered what he considers a viable solution to the problem. Guess what Elder or Apostle Snow suggested as a reasonable answer to the sin of self-gratification? He said, quote, plural marriage would tend to diminish the evil of self-pollution, and this indulgent on the part of men is less in plural marriage than in monogamy. I mean, to me, that's like saying if a man has a problem overeating, the solution is not in prayer or dieting or working out or going to it with God, but getting someone else to help his wife cook. 
It just, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Their rationale is just amazing how they try to handle the problems using the arm of the flesh. A good friend, Carl, in the Logan area passed on his abandoned ship letter to me. Uh, he took it from utlm.org, which is a great resource. I just want to mention some highlights to you. He, uh, in the letter he includes, I hereby withdraw my consent uh, of being treated as a member, and I withdraw my consent of being subject to church rules, policies, beliefs, and, quote, discipline. As I am no longer a member, I am now a former member. I want my name removed from the membership roles of the church immediately. I have given this considerable thought. He goes on. This is all kind of boilerplate stuff. And he says, there's a, there's a, uh, Paragraph here where he says, I have resigned voluntarily and insist that the word excommunication not be used in any discussion or in any church record or in the letter notifying me of this action. He, uh, Carl also told me that if you have this letter notarized, it makes it a legal document. They take it maybe more seriously. And then there's a kind of a thread of distribution that you send it to, four copies minimum, one to the bishop, one to the stake president, one to the member records, and a copy for yourself. Well, up there in Logan, this story that I'm going to tell you plays right into why you say, I don't want you to excommunicate me. A young man that I personally know went to his bishop, and it's a Bishop Cropper, and he told this bishop that he wants his name removed from the records of the church. The bishop screamed and yelled at this young man, and things got ugly, because knowing the young man, I think he probably screamed and yelled back. But what is really appalling about this story is not the threatening shouts and the condemnations, but what Bishop Cropper did a week later. He called this young man in, and he told him, informed him, that they were probably going to now excommunicate him. The man asked, or the young man asked, on what grounds are you going to do this? And Bishop Cropper of the Logan River Third Ward said that he has evidence that the young man was seen. You're not going to believe what they witnessed this young man doing. Seen going into Oasis Books, a Christian bookstore. And that was evidence enough for apostasy. And that is an excommunicable offense. You see, really nice there, Bishop Cropper. What they do, you see, is if you have your name removed and the people in the community hear about it, those people might actually say, well, why are you having your name removed? And then you might have a chance to say, well, I I got a library card and I started reading and I learned all about the history and I really understand what happens in the temple and stuff. And then those people might actually say, wow, but if you excommunicate somebody, it's built into this, this disciplinary council that if you are excommunicated, they know you have done something terribly wrong. So what it does is it points all fingers at you being some sicko and that the church stands firm and strong. So when they're getting these letters, they're saying, you know, I want my name taken off the record of the church. And then they're saying, okay, we'll do it. But in some cases, they're saying, well, we're going to excommunicate you just so that is part of the record and it keeps them safe. By all means, abandon ship as the Lord leads you, but make sure you don't allow them to assassinate you or your character along the way. Go to utlm.org for more information. A few years ago, we reported that Salt Lake City led the nation, led the nation in Google uh, porn searches. Yesterday from the Salt Lake, Tri- uh, Salt Lake City Tribune, there is an article, Utah is number one for online pornography consumption. 
Dated 3-2 of 2009, Utah's per capita appetite for online, online pornography makes it the nation's runaway red light state. A study by a Harvard Business School professor shows that Utah outpaces the rest of the nation. The article states, quote, Utah has the nation's highest online porn subscription rate per thousand home broadband users at 5.47, while the nearby states of Idaho and Montana showed the lowest rates of 1.98 and 1.92, respectively, according to the study. There's all kinds of excuses now being thrown up as to why this happens. But the professor states, quote, even when I control for income, age, education, and marital status, Utah residents still consume disproportionately more than people from other states, says Edelman. The article goes on to say, although Utah is headquarters for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Edelman found that regions where people regularly attend religious services are not statistically different from their counterparts in more secular regions. This line is amazing. But users who do attend religious services tend to shift their adult entertainment sessions to other days of the week than the day of the service. So isn't that typical? There's no porn on Sunday in Utah, but they leave the nation on other days of the week. Now, everyone is asking why, why Utah? The answer is simple. I'm going to sound, I know I'm going to sound uneducated. I'm gonna sound illiterate. I'm gonna sound biased when I tell you the answer. And it's going to really make me look bad. I know that right off the bat. Why Utah? Mormonism. That is why. Its roots, its culture, the effect it has on people within the church, and the effect it has had on people who have left the church. That's my stance, uneducated as it might be. I want to give a hearty shout out. We haven't done shout outs in a long, long time to all our brothers and sisters, all the men and women who are behind bars throughout the world, but especially in Utah and Idaho. I know many of you watch Heart of the Matter from behind bars. One prisoner, Michael Bevington from Idaho wrote and said, quote, while watching Heart of the Matter, one of his cellies asked God for the truth and was shortly thereafter saved. We want you to know that if you are sitting behind bars, that the value of your person before God is just as great as anyone else. The hope for you, my friends, is in Him. He is and has been calling to you. What better place, what better time for you to reflect upon your life, go to the Lord with your sin, your sin nature, your mistakes, which we've all made, and take it to him and ask for a new heart to be made a new creation in Christ. Give your life to the Lord. Let him take it. Let him be the sovereign king of your days. Then wait. Read his word. Pray. Trust in him. And then look. Ask him to open your eyes and ears. Soften your heart. Give you a new heart. And you will see him do radical things in your life. This we know. All right? Good. Recently, an LDS business icon passed away from complications of diabetes. His name is Larry H. Miller. Larry Miller seemed to possess a Midas touch in life, and in, in his short years, a, 
acquired several car dealerships, movie theaters, shopping malls, professional sports teams here in Utah like the Utah Jazz and the minor league baseball team, The Buzz. Our condolences to the family and friends of this businessman. A documentary on his life was amazingly aired the day after he died. Because of the short order in which he has been placed in the public's eye as a hero, I am addressing this, these displays tonight. In the documentary, all sorts of people were interviewed, but because Larry was LDS, it is no wonder that praise was heaped upon the man. And by all appearances, he was a man who did a lot of good. At the end of the documentary, however, Larry tearfully shared a sort of vision that he carried around in his head. He said that he sees a grandfather walking with his grandson by the Energy Solutions Arena, which the uh, jazz play in downtown Salt Lake City. And the grandson, he says, will look up to the grandfather and say, Grandfather, who is Larry H. Miller? And at this point in the documentary, Larry becomes very emotional in telling the imagined story, and then he continues. And he says he imagines that the grandfather will say, Larry H. Miller is a man who loved... Now, before I finish the sentence, I want you to fill in the blank as if we were talking about a faithful, true Bible-believing Christian, male or female. How would they finish that sentence? Blank is a man or a woman who really loved what? How would Billy Graham, what would they say, what would they write that he would say about that? What would Billy Graham really love? What would any faithful Christian how would they finish that sentence? How would David in the Old Testament finish it? How would Isaiah finish it? How would Peter, James, and John finish that sentence? More importantly, how would you, sitting there behind or on the couch in front of the television set, how would you finish that sentence in your life? Sean McCraney is a man who really loved dot, dot, dot. If you want to know the brass tacks difference between biblical born-again Christians and faithful Latter-day Saints, it might possibly be how each would finish that self-described statement at the end of their life. Blank was a man or woman who loved. Already hanging from the top of the Energy Solutions building is a gigantic printed image of Larry H. Miller. It honors his life, his values, and his accomplishments. Billboards have been put up in his honor all along the I-15 freeway, which is sort of a Utah tradition to honor men who have passed. On the banner above the Energy Solutions Center uh, is written right above Larry H. Miller's head, uh, the statement, as though it's kind of a cheat sheet for grandfather when he looks up there to remember exactly what Larry H. Miller loved, and it says, Larry H. Miller, a man who loved Utah. Just imagine what could have been said and the lasting good that could have been done at Larry H. Miller's passing if Jesus were the thing Larry H. Miller loved most. Rest in peace, Larry. You know, it's not something I'm like to do. I'm not picking on Larry H. Miller. I have sorrow for that. But I place the blame squarely on the shoulders of Thomas S. Monson. 
Uh, these guys who call themselves apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. I blame them that men in their care can actually exit this world who are supposed to be faithful, temple card-carrying Latter-day Saints who can exit this world and their claim to fame is that they loved a state or that they build up empires of material. Shame on you, Thomas S. Monson, for allowing one of your members, someone as, as, as uh, prolific as this guy, to leave this world and leave his legacy that he loved Utah. What would be the difference on people's lives if he had left and it said, Larry H. Miller, a man who loved Jesus Christ? Okay, you won't see that because of you. Now you're in a position, Thomas Monson, to change this right now. You can affect 13 million people at least if you say, let's drop the man worship and let's put Jesus at the center of our lives. But you won't do it, will you? You're too afraid, aren't you? With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, I need you. We all need you. We pray for your spirit to be with our viewing audience, whether on their couches or at their computers or here in our audience. We pray for our volunteers, our technical staff, and the message that we're going to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I presented you with the first part of our examination of Joseph Smith Jr. and what Dr. Moraine, author of The Sword of Laban, called the dissociative mind. I would strongly recommend reviewing part one in order to comprehend tonight's program in its greatest light. Dr. William Moraine strongly suggests in his book that several horrific experiences in Joseph Smith's young life caused him to open up a secret part in his brain that even he is not aware of and to dissociate it completely from his conscious thinking in order to deal with the traumatic event. Last week, we discussed in detail the first major experience that could have caused this split, which were several brutal operations that were performed on Joseph Smith when he was a six-year-old boy. Dr. Moraine suggests that following this operation, much of Joseph Smith's permanent personality structure evolved in the aftermath of these operations as Joseph adjusted to being the family's crippled child. It is of note that Joseph was severely hobbled for at least three years of his life thereafter and always walked with a limp. But what also contributed to his psychological makeup was the fact that the minute Joseph was well enough to travel, his parents sent the six-year-old away alone with his uncle Jesse to Salem, Massachusetts. In all probability, the boy never had been apart from his parents before, and now at a moment critical for their acceptance and care and attention, he was sent away to Salem in hopes that the sea breezes would be of service to him. Dr. Moraine suggests that this exile added a whole new dimension to Joseph's dissociated mind, stating, quote, The absence of the familiarity and affection of his family was to be one more crushing blow that his mortally wounded psyche would have to endure. Surely, a very different boy returned from Salem. It was probably while at the seashore that Joseph's fantasies began, quote, Projecting from within an unspeakable horror he could not fully recall, says Dr. Moraine. It is not an accident that Joseph's epic literary adventures begin with disenchanted people leaving a place of safety and traveling to seashores. Uh, 
Like writer Stephen King, it's possible that here Joseph began to fantasize in grandiose proportions while unknowingly pulling from the trauma of his dis- dissociated mind. Writes Dr. Moran, quote, As we will see, these included fantasies of war, fantasies of people in chaos who escape to the seashore, fantasies of magic swords that dismember heads and arms. If you're familiar with the Book of Mormon, you're going to recognize many of these themes. Fantasies of sons overthrowing fathers, princes killing kings, righteous killing unrighteous. Uh, The author continued, fantasies of towers, trees, serpents, flaming swords, pillars, cigar-shaped boats, sickles, and stiff-necked people. Fantasies of evil men brought to humiliation by young heroes, of good fathers and evil fathers, of faithful women and whores, of good white people and evil black people, of good white people becoming evil black people, of being bound with cords, of blood on garments, of destroying angels with drawn swords. These fantasies would flood out his unconscious in hundreds of repetitive dreams and nightmares, in daydreams and random sequences, in play, in speech, and in silence. They took over the inner life of Joseph Smith Jr. as an automatic pilot takes over an aircraft. In this state, Dr. Moraine concludes, he limped into his future. Because of his experience with traumatized children who have dissociated their specific trauma to the recesses of their minds, Dr. Moraine claims that there are some commonalities these folks share. One is that they have come to believe that they have some sort of connection to God or to the unseen world, sort of like a gift of clairvoyance or even a prophetic gift. This might be the result of their tapping back into this strange imagery locked in their dissociated parts of their brain and mistaking it for heavenly inspiration. Usually this tapping back into the secret part of their mind would often be accompanied by trance-like states. Psychiatrist John Nemaya describes these states in his book, Dissociative Disorder in Comprehensive Textbook of Psychiatry, saying, quote, These persons are out of contact with their environment, and their eyes are often seen staring into space. It can be determined that their behavior represents the external manifestations of an inner hallucinatory re-experience of, re-experiencing of the traumatic event, end quote. Psychologist Lenore Turr separately notes that people in the dissociate state exhibit, quote, loss of color and later have glassy-eyed stares. All of these observations, which come from non-religious professionals, support historic LDS descriptions of Joseph Smith Jr. when he went into his religious trances. Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, who was one of Joseph Smith's polygamous wives later on, describes Joseph Smith during his moments in this way, quote, At once his countenance changed and he stood mute. There was a searchlight within him over every part of his body. I never saw anything like it on earth. He got so white that anyone who saw him would have thought he was transparent, end quote. Researcher Dan Vogel cites a a description from LDS archives from the journal of one E. Stevenson that states, quote, His countenance seemed to me to assume a heavenly whiteness, and his voice was so piercing and forcible for my part, it would press me, it impressed me so that it became indelibly, indelibly imprinted upon my mind. Remember, too, that in early in his life as a treasure seeker, and even as a translator of the Book of Mormon, Joseph, who was convicted of, uh, by a court of law as a glass looker, 
would stare long and hard into a hat until he entered a state where images and ideas rolled forth from somewhere in his head, and his countenance contained an otherworldly appearance, including glassy stares and translucent skin. From his experience, Dr. Moraine suggests that Joseph most likely filled any leisurely moment of his life with reconstructed visualizations of the stored traumatic event, suggesting that he, like others with dissociated minds, would certainly draw other people into their orbit. He reminds us that Joseph's own mother reported that when Joseph was a young teenager, he would, quote, regale his family with vivid stories of imaginary characters for hours. Joseph Smith's own mother wrote in her biography, quote, During our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent, their dress, mode of traveling, the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings, with every particular, their mode of war- well, warfare, and also their religious worship. This he would do with much ease, seemingly as if he had spent his whole life with them. Parenthetically, Dr. Moraine adds in the book, not his whole life, Lucy, just from the age of seven. These stories, as we have mentioned before on the show, were all told by Joseph Smith before the golden plates were ever received or one page of the Book of Mormon had ever been written. Dr. Moraine notes, however, that even though the hidden traumatic memory propelled Joseph's mind and creativity, the themes and characters would often be represented in very narrow terms. And these never really changed these terms over the course of his life. They just morphed into different expressions. This is why the Book of Mormon characters are so wooden when you read the book, so black and white. And the thematic structure is so mundane and repetitive and wordy. For an excellent analysis uh, of the prose that Joseph Smith used when writing the Book of Mormon as compared with the prose that the uh, real prophets used when compiling the Bible, get M.T. Lamb's The Golden Bible, which you can purchase from utlm.org. It's an excellent book from a, a guy who knew the word back in the 1800s and said and pointed out all these significant things that makes the Book of Mormon just almost laughable. That's M.T. Lamb's The Golden Bible. It is fitting and typical, however, that many people with dissociated minds often express their trauma through literature. Psychologist Shengold writes that, quote, artistically, creativity involves a change from passive suffering of childhood traumatic experience to active manipulation and recreation of those experiences. Expert Elizabeth Waite said, human beings do not merely suffer or inflict suffering. They interpret suffering, invent myths to explain it, and prescribe rituals to control it. It is through literature that we find evidence of Joseph reliving over and over again the trauma locked into his dissociated mind. And it is, and it is because this trauma is locked away in a place that he, he doesn't even know where it's at and its contents that makes it so powerful and constantly reoccurring in their lives. Next week, I'm going to sort of delineate these themes and show you how throughout Joseph's life, he revisited them over and over and over again, both in his writings, in his revelations, and even in the temple ceremonies, which people still today undergo and, and um, embrace. Prior to going to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820, 
I think it's important to detail a very significant event that occurred in Joseph Smith's adult life and served to sort of permanently put his dissociated mind into hyperdrive. It's, the, it's an event that took all those things and painful experiences from his past, and when it occurred, it, he relived that, those experiences, and then he went full force into the maniacal Joseph Smith, which included the many wives he took on, and I believe that this, this experience threw him into him starting to get more and more wives at an accelerated pace. When we get back, we'll talk about it. Call us 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Listen, make sure you have a good question. We'll see you in about 15 seconds. And we're back. It's suggested that because of Joseph's age-appropriate Oedipal thoughts toward his mother, which we talked about last week, and the subsequent punishment he perceived that he received for having those thoughts at the hands of 12 doctors who kind of mutilated his leg, um, he would forever link his sexuality with danger. Like all dissociate issues, this condition would appear and reappear uh, endlessly in his subconscious. And as that happens, it says the, the dissociative mind constantly tries to relive that experience in order to solve it. But they can't solve it because they don't even know what they're dealing with and trying to solve. Because the original issue was kept hidden from them in the first place. You got all that? Well, Joseph was amazingly subjected to an exact reenactment of what caused his childhood dissociation in the first place. And I would suggest that this event literally sent him spiraling out of psychological control. In 1832, Joseph and Emma were living near Kirtland, Ohio with the Johnson family. They had recently adopted a set of twins and Joseph was caring for one of them who had the measles when a drunken mob broke in with the intent to tar, feather, and castrate the Mormon prophet. Now, LDS leaders never speak the truth regarding this incident and they rewrite history and paint Joseph as this innocent man who had done nothing but tried to serve God and they took him, these drunken mob, and they tried to tar and feather him. They never mentioned castration and they just wanted to tar and feather him and be mean to him, beat him up. But that isn't what happened. What they don't tell you is Eli Johnson, the older brother of Miranda, 16-year-old Miranda Johnson, in the home that Joseph was actually living in, was uh, incensed at Joseph's intimacies with his sister. And the plans to castrate was in direct retaliation for his misuse of the object to be removed. Dr. Moraine suggests that Eli Johnson and the mob were very clear on the occasion as to why they were doing what they were doing as revenge usually has a very clear verbal expressions. Where a witness claimed that there were 40 or 50 men present, it is very interesting that in Joseph's own account, he states that there was about a dozen the same number that were there when they operated on his leg. In fact, there's a famous painting, a mural here in Salt Lake City that depicts this event, and it only shows 12 men and is honest to Joseph Smith's description of how many were there. 
These men took Joseph out of the house and forcibly held him down. In the struggle, one of the men, William Wast, who was regarded as the strongest man on the Western Reserve and who had boasted that he himself could take Joseph out of the Johnson house himself, was flattened by a single kick he received from Joseph as the mob tried to restrain him. While LDS storytellers today boastfully herald this kick as evidence of the power within their founding prophet, Dr. Moraine suggests otherwise, saying that, quote, the strength displayed on this occasion must not be regarded as Joseph's customary power, but rather as resulting from the severest kind of adrenaline rush. William Waste and his companions, Moraine continues, found themselves facing a thrice-traumatized seven-year-old fending off a fourth assault on his manhood. Joseph was taken as he screamed mercy, which implies guilt, and stretched out a large, on a large board and was stripped of his clothing. He was there subjected to brutal treatment, including tar and feathering. But these mistreatments were nothing compared to what waited for him next. A Dr. Dennison was convinced to join the mob and to bring his surgical instruments with him along so they could castrate Joseph for his dalliances with Miranda Johnson, who, by the way, later became one of Joseph Smith's plural wives, too. Dr. Moraine suggests that upon seeing Dr. Dennison approach him with his surgical instruments in hand must have been the single most terrifying moment in Joseph Smith's adult life. Unfortunately, Dr. Dennison... Fortunately or unfortunately, Dr. Dennison was unable to proceed personally and withdrew from the act. What is revealing in Joseph's own description, as revealed through a friend, is how he responded to this whole situation. Joseph's spirit, quote, says, seemed to leave his body, and during this period of insensitivity, he consciously stood over his own body, feeling no pain, and seeing and hearing all that transpired. Dr. Moraine adds, this statement is textbook description of the dissociated mind. The almost exact reenactment of this stressful childhood stimulus served to seal the abnormal mind function in Joseph Smith's head, while at the same time igniting a relentless need for him to constantly relive the twisted connection he established years earlier between eroticism and the threat of violence. In other words, it was this very stressful reenactment that threw Joseph into an escalating obsession with obtaining more and more secret wives, eroticism, under the constant threat of discovery, violence. I believe I now at least partially understand why Joseph did what he did and risked what he risked. Before we go to the phones, really quickly, I just want to read off to you quickly uh, this compulsion of Joseph Smith that grew from this time forward. Fanny Alger, 16 years old, Lucinda Harris, Louisa Beeman, Zena Jacobs, Priscinda Buell, Agnes Coolbreth, Sylvia Lyon, Mary Leitner, Patty Sessions, Miranda Johnson, that girl, Elizabeth Davis, Sarah Kingsley, Delcina Johnson, Eliza R. Snow, Sarah Ann Whitney, who was only 17, Martha McBride, Rose Vose, Ruth Voss Sayers, Flora Ann Woodworth, who was 16, Elizabeth Dow Partridge, who was 19, Eliza Marie Partridge, Elmira Johnson, Lucy Walker, who was 17, Sarah Lawrence and Maria Lawrence, who were both 17, Helen Mar Kimball, who was 14 years old when he took her as a wife, 
Hannah Ells, 29, Elvira Holmes, Rhoda Richards, Desmodina Fulmer, Olive Frost, Melissa Lott, who was 19, Nancy Winchester, who was 14, and ending with Fanny Young. All this from the prophet that they praise. Let's go to uh, Joshua and Clearfield on line one. Joshua, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, this is Joshua. You're a little bit time-lapse with me. Um, I'm actually, one of my questions is, um, I'm actually not only working with people that don't know Christ, but also LDS people. Um, my question is, um, when it's uh, Luke 2242, how um, they believe that, um, what is, and being in anguish, she prayed more earnestly, and the sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground, which they believe this is actually a part of the atonement, Yeah. which we know he was just asking for that cup to be taken from him. Um, you know, in First Peter... Uh, 3.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Right. So, so we might die to sin, sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Sorry, you caught me off guard. Uh, my question is, um, we all know it was on the cross that he, he paid for the sins that we, we, you know, forgiveness of our sins. But point being is, why would the LDS Church be willing to manipulate people to think that's where he paid for the atonement? Well, we uh, explain it in a number of ways, but the points you bring up are great. Now, let me just reemphasize for the audience. First of all, the Bible never speaks of atonement in the, uh, in the gar uh, garden at all. All the suffering, everything is done on the cross, biblically speaking. Uh, so when it talks about this sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, Luke is the only gospel writer who includes that, by the way. But they say this is, like you've mentioned, uh, indicative that that's where the uh, suffering for sin took place and then he d gave his life like any common criminal on the cross. Uh, the reason they do that is because they are the authors of what we have termed twistianity. They take every single aspect of classic biblical Christianity and they give a twist to it. So just this many twists and pretty soon you've got a 180 of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. So the cross is not enough to them. They've got to say it's the garden and then the cross because what it says is, wow, our modern-day revelation tells us what really happened. And they do it with uh, the virgin birth. They do it with the ontology of God. They do it with every single... You bring up a biblical doctrine, and I will show you where they... I'll try to show you where they have twisted that and it's got their people just to go a little off course. So in the end of their lives, they're putting up banners of themselves and saying they just love Utah. That's right, and if they want to disregard the words of Paul, let them go to uh, Isaiah 53, and they'll say the same, same thing. By yeah. his wounds we were healed. Right, so, exactly. That's right, so if you want to disregard what Paul has to say, go into the Old Testament, and if that ain't proving you wrong, you call it the one true church, there's some to question. Yeah, very good. Hey, one more yeah. point on that. All right. Just for your, uh, the arrows in your quiver. <laughs> they, they say that uh, we know from the Gospels that an angel came and, and, and suckered Jesus during the garden experience because this is when Satan was tempting him to not do it, right? Um, I, I haven't really, I, I wouldn't know. I no, it is, it is. An angel okay. did come according to the Gospels and, and did help Jesus in the garden experience. Oh, the angels came and helped him, yes. Correct. Yeah, right. Correct. Now, this is philosophically unsound for, for God, the Father in LDS terms, to send an angel to help his son through the atonement when we know that on the cross, Jesus bore it all himself, in fact, to the point where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Amen. So it's not philosophically sound that God is punishing Jesus there in the garden and then sending help to help him out with it. You get that? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so use that against them, too. Okay, I got it. I got it. All right, I appreciate you, man. Christ Community wants you to come out and do your thing. All right, man. So, God bless you. All right, cool. Take care, man. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. My eyesight's getting bad. All right, we are going to Jason and Sandy. He's a first-time caller, and he's LDS. Jason, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Who am I speaking with? This is Sean McCraney. Hi, Sean. Um, I just, I, I'm calling in regards. Um, I noticed on tonight's episode you're, you're shaking there a little bit. Is everything all right? Too much caffeine. Is that it? Yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> I've been there, but um, what I wanted to talk to you about is I'm a first-time caller. I'm LDS, and um, I just wanted to talk talk with you a little bit about one of your last episodes, your last one, I believe. It was about um, um, Afri- African-Americans, blacks receiving the priesthood yeah. um, in 1978, and you, you asked the question, well, why are they still being born black if the curse was lifted? Yeah. And, I mean, as far as I, <laughs> what, I, I don't get that question. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm wondering what, what your point is with it, first well, of all. Well, the teaching was always that the mark upon the, the, uh, the curse of Cain was black skin. Right. Okay, so if the curse was black skin, and they, brought, they had this curse upon them from their actions in the pre-existence. Sure. Okay, if the curse was lifted... It would mean that the actions... Well, well, hold, hold on, you said in the pre-existence? Yeah, because that was the teaching too. The reason that black people had black skin is because the only way an equitable God would give them black skin, and according to Brigham Young, flat noses and kinky hair, would be because they were disobedient in the pre-existence. Okay, I, and I, I'm not familiar with that scripture. Okay, but I am. I am. So and, and, I, let me just finish out, and then you can tell me your okay. question. So... If this is all the logic behind why we have black people and people of different color, which the Book of Mormon supports in terms of skin color too, why when the ban is lifted, the ban is lifted in 1978, would people continue to be born with black skin? Well, because according, uh, I mean, assuming that the curse has been lifted, okay? Okay. Assuming the curse has been lifted, have they not, have they still not been a peach bowl of, of, that have, have done good things? been right, you know, been righteous, been, you know, and they, they've, they've done good enough things in, in their, their time on earth to have the curse lifted. No, it wasn't and the so time why, on earth. Why would, well, let me just finish. Okay. Why, why would, why would, you know, why would we want to change the color, the color of their skin to be like, you know, purple or green or what, you know, what, why, why go to that extreme when, when they've proven, you know, when they're, they're a, a, a beautiful race, a beautiful race of people, and they've done amazing things in this mortal okay. existence. All right, listen, Jason, what you're saying is really nice, personally, and I'm sure you believe that. Well, I know it, yeah. Okay, you know it, okay. Well, your church doesn't, all right? Brigham Young, this black skin was not a beautiful thing. And, and in fact, and the Book of Mormon teaches can you that... you give me that exact doctrine so I could look it up? You can watch our show on Blacks and the Priesthood, uh, 2006-2007. Watch the archive, but let me continue on. And when the Book of Mormon, that wait, 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 let me just give you a consistent thought. The Book of Mormon also taught that if the Lamanites, the Indians, were righteous, their skin would become white and delightsome. Okay, this is your doctrine, not mine. And where, where was that found? Okay, I, that's in the Book of Mormon, too. Now, if, if you're really a, 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 a LDS, do you read that book? Yeah, you, you bet. And that's why, I'm, that's why I'm wondering where exactly you're reading that I'm not. Okay. I, I'm, 
It's uh, unawares to me. Uh, Robert, you in the audience? Yeah. Do you have a Book of Mormon with you? And, and one other thing while you're no, looking at Wait, wait, let's up. stay on this one. Let's finish this before we go on. What, what Do you know? It's in there all over the place. And in fact... White and Delights in Second Nephi somewhere. I'm a multitasker, Sean, so... <laughs> so, uh, October uh, 1960, Spencer W. Kimball wrote about dark-skinned people turning light and white. He, in fact, now, I remember Spencer that they would w. teach... Kimball, I'm saying... I'm saying in the Book of Mormon, you just made reference to Brigham Young, so those... No, 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 no. I made reference to Brigham Young talking about people with black skin. It was not right. a beautiful thing. I and, made reference to the Book and, and of Mormon. And that's why I'm asking for references. Okay, the references are all there. And in fact, <laughs> any, any Latter-day Saint who reads it knows those references are there. Okay, all right. Well, that, yeah, I'm, I read it, and I'm devout, and I, I've, you, you have yet to convince me from, from specifics. But uh, one other thing I just wanted to make note of, and I'll, I'll continue. I've watched your program. Yeah. I, I found you to be an interesting person. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what happened, why your situation with the LDS Church, but um, whether it was, you know, in your own mind that think things weren't It's not in my up own, and, Jason. Look at this. You know, we've been doing this for so long, and the, when I have discussions with Latter-day Saints, it always comes back to the, no, no, what's wrong I, with you, no, dude? No, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know what it is. It's That's pure doctrine. It's only doctrine, and, Jason. And, and, and I, I can appreciate that. But what I'm saying is, is, is a lot of churches out there today say that they're the true church. No, they don't. I mean, the Catholics believe it. The, the Presbyterian, Protestant, no, you know. No, Presbyterians don't say we're the true well, church. Well, sure, sure. They, why, I mean, yeah, they're the they church come they to want our... you to believe in. And, no, and, the, the denominations and, and very... that's why, I'm just wondering why, as a Christian, okay, Christian's about brotherhood to me and about lifting others up. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And promoting good causes. So, you so know, brotherhood exists in and, the Aryan nation. Brotherhood pardon? exists all over the place. Well, this I, is, this is a secondary issue. The I'm talking about brother Jason, to brother, a helping hand service, Jason, your fellow man. Jason, look at well, if you don't want to, you're using you're using stuff. I just want to tell you, let's just talk about doctrine. That's what we talk about. Don't talk to me about being well, no, brothers I'm and kind to, to get each where other. You're coming from because I, 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 you don't know where I'm coming from about blacks in the priesthood. You don't know what Brigham Young no, said. You, you don't convince me on that. Okay, no. I'm not trying to convince you. Go to utlm.org. We're going to move uh, on. Well, let, let me one more question. Second Nephi 30 verse 6. Let me okay. write that down. Second, yeah, write that one down. Second Nephi 30 verse 6. Second okay. Nephi 30 now, verse now, 6. Now, one more thing. Yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, obviously you're, you're passionate about what you do. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I, I just can't, I, I come back to the, you know, you, you say you're a Christian. Is they, that a Bible? Look, get to the point. Don't get, get to the point. Is that a Bible? Yes, it's a Bible. For all the time since I've started watching you, you yeah. have yet to open that thing up and, and, and quote scripture or promote your own cause. All you do is nitpick the LDS church. Okay, now we're getting to the heart of the matter here, Jason. Yeah, okay, well, that's what all the right. show is. Okay, listen, the heart of the matter is this. The show is not a Bible teaching show. It, I keep the Bible here open as a symbol that this is the thing, that this is my manual. And, but I do my preparation well, prior. Jason, there? you got to listen. Just let me say this. Okay. You asked the question. 
I keep it open to show that this is my manual. I will use it if I have to look something up, if it's in the Bible and someone asked me to or whatever. This is not a Bible teaching show. You got it wrong. This is about Mormonism as compared with biblical Christianity. So, so, so it's about Mormonism as compared with biblical Christianity. Yes. Yet, yet I, hear, I, I have yet to hear you talk about much about anything in the Bible or having to do with any other. I mean, well, why not go with such vigor like you do against the LDS Church? Go, go out there against other churches that, that seemingly... Okay, let me answer this redundant question for you, Jason. I don't go after Islam for two reasons. Islam uh, does not claim to be Christian. And I was well, never not Islam. Just Islam, you know, there's there's Catholicism. I was never Catholic. Pardon me. I was never Catholic. I was LDS forty years, so I know your language. Okay, so what 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 are you trying to promote other than disharmony and discourse within the church? Discord within the church. Yes, I'm trying to promote discord within the church. I am trying to bring the church to its doctrinal knees. Why? Because it's false. What, and it what good it, what, and it, it why, why has that been personalized for you instead, it, of, imprisons, instead of service unto your fellow man? It, stop with the fellow man stuff. No, why, why are it you not now preaching and look promoting at fellow, and trying to lift others up instead I, I of need more caffeine. an entity down? Jason, fellow man is, a, is an issue I am not talking about. I'm talking about my brothers and sisters. Well, who that's are your fellow man, Sean. Will you let me finish? They are trapped by your religion. Uh, according to your, what, what you think because of, you, uh, of what's happened with you. Yes, uh, because of what's I'm happened with me, if, I speak if, if from that. If you really wanted to promote your own agenda... Yes, it is own, an agenda I have. ...and your own spirituality and no. bring others under the See, your belief. Fine, okay, good. Now we're getting more to the heart of the matter. If, if Jason, you listen. If you wanted to bring it people under your own Jason. beliefs, then you would do it. Jason. You get, you get more flies with honey than Jason. with salt. Jason. Can I say something? Okay, listen. Let's just calm it down for a second. Okay, okay let's just calm it down. Just I'm for just one... trying to figure you out. Okay, friend. I know you are, Jason. I know I you're struggling to, you. to do that. I thought your shows have been interesting. Okay, good. But now, I'm let's still just... trying to find exactly Jason. where you get your specifics from. Will you let me speak, please, Jason? Jason, will you let me speak? Just for Go just ahead. give me 10 seconds on, on my show. show. <laughs> okay, look it. I want to show that Latter-day Saint doctrine is not biblical. That is what I do. Okay. All right? I have, we have many shows that talk about the Bible. We talk about apostles, prophets. We talk about priesthood. We talk about baptism. We have done it, Jason. Uh, right now we're going through church history, okay. and I'm just showing some things about what I think toward it. Now, now can, can I say one now more you thing can. before I hang up? Okay. You, you say that... that that LDS folk are under the disillusion that that they have to they have to they have a part in their 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 salvation, correct? Salvation meaning them living with God, yes. Right, and and you're saying that 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 we have no part in it as, as individuals because the work's been done. That is true, yes. And so I, I don't I don't get that as a latter. I know you thing, don't get it, Jason. I, I don't believe that. I know you don't believe that, Jason. I, I believe, That's why I, I do the show. That I don't have a part in it. Uh, other than, other than I need to, I need to live uh, as you know, be kind to of my fellow man. I need to treat others as I, I have people treat me. 
I yeah. need to, as far as forgiveness, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't believe that to, to gain forgiveness of my sins, I necessarily these have are, to go to any one individual. These are rabbit trails. This is minutia. Let's get stay on topic. Do you believe you got to go to the temple? I, I, I believe that it, it's there's a route. Uh, th that's one route. That's one route or the route. I, I believe that that, that there's going to there's a lot of people that'll have opportunity that will never go through through the temple. And, and there's a lot of people that will have opportunity that will never go through the temple. Well, I know. I would agree with that. Now, so can I read you something from no, the No, no reading. Wait, just wait, Jason. Do you have to go through the temple to live with God? Um, I, I believe that's going to be up to him, Sean. That's not what your church teaches. You know, I, I, I believe it's the interpretation. I believe I, I'm... You I'm believe, you believe, you believe. But you don't know anything. And, and I, I... This is the problem. I believe that. This is the problem. You can have your subjective little Mormon religion and walk around and believe this little thing and smorgasbord. Oh, I like baptism well, for the dead. Like Ooh, temple endowments, and, I don't. And nitpicking and, and cherry picking the things you want to believe. No, I don't cherry pick on what I want. There's yeah, a lot of things I don't want to like believe the, that I that I try like to what follow. I'm asking you to, to quote from. You, you have to reference all the time instead of believing. It I reference everything, Je Jason. I reference everything. It's, it's all in my page. notes. You can get online and get all the references. Saints gain fellowship with God by obedience. What? We must confess our sins to gain forgiveness. <laughs> All right, man, we're done. We've gone on far too long. We've got five minutes left, but I'll tell you this much. This is going to make an outstanding... You have me, Sean, and I think you're doing a disservice. You need to stop uh, okay, promoting Final statement. This is yours. ...and brotherhood, and you'll do a lot better. You, you, you've, got, you've got a darkness about you. Now we're getting... I do. I've had a little sleep... He didn't even give me my closing remarks. So frustrating. Jason, I love you. Darkness, everything you think that's wrong, search your doctrine. Go to utlm.org, look up the, the blacks in the priesthood, look up everything that you've asked me about. There is the ready reference. The reason I quote that all the time is I'm not a genius. I have to do research and report it. I'm a reporter is what I am. That's it. I can't bring this stuff up out of my head. Robert's the genius. And Reed and these guys. I just report, okay? But I report what's there. Go to utlm.org and check your facts. And you know what? I'm, I can tell you right now, if you do, your life will change. Your eyes will be open. All right, we are going to Bill and Roy, first-time caller. Bill, you're on Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you, Sean? I'm exhausted. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, pretty good. Just had a couple comments here real quick. Uh, one is on that Harvard study of Utah pornography. Uh-huh. Uh, a little bit biased. Uh, they don't have a lot of pornography stores in Utah, so we can't be scared about neighbors seeing people going into the stores and buying their videos there. So the reason that pornography is highest in Utah is because it's not available in the stores? We don't have any stores like that, and we use credit cards. So what do you? Uh, what's the point? Oh, just a different way of seeing it. A different way. So you're saying that because it's not it's available not in stores, more people go online to get it, and that's what raises the percentages in this state. Well, that's what they did their study on. It's just the credit cards, the online subscriptions. Right. So what it's what the thing reveals is they will, uh, they, if they can do it secretly, they will get it that way. That's exactly it. Yes. Okay. All right. I understand another that. Good comment, point. Another comment. Uh, the Bible it tells uh, talks about the prophets and uh, 
shows them their weaknesses, but you don't hear any weaknesses about Joseph Smith or any of the other prophets. Yeah, they, they really whitewash it. They're having to come out a little bit uh, more openly with Joseph Smith, with the Joseph Smith papers, and they're willing to give a little here and there, but they don't like to uh, show uh, mortal sin in their prophets or their leaders. They, they, they whitewash everybody's history when they present it. It's all very clean and beautiful, and uh, luckily the Lord, he uh, looks at the heart. Yeah, really good point, though, Bill. You're, you're doing a really good job, Sean. I've been watching your show for a while, and uh, continue on. Thanks, my brother. Take care. Hey, God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. We are going to Carl on line two. Carl, you're on Heart of the Matter. Carl's not there. We're going to line four. Who are you? Uh, Hello? Yes. You're on the uh, air. Hello? You're on the air. Yeah, uh, this is John. Scott? Yeah, John. Uh, Sean, I want to ask you a question. All right, Scott. Okay, I've been a Mormon. I grew up as a Catholic. I've been a Mormon for about uh, 35 years. And uh, I haven't gone to church for about 10. Okay, now, the thing that really bothers me Um, do you believe, or do you have any scriptural references, that, uh, that the Satan can appear as an angel of light, yes. or appear, appear as God, you know, to deceive Joseph Smith? Okay, I got, do I have scriptural references? I believe Galatians 1 talks about that. Okay, uh, I'll have to read that. That's in the Bible, and what was the second part of the question? Well, could, uh, okay, if uh, Satan can appear as an angel of light. Yeah, he can. Can he appear as uh, God also? Uh, I don't do. think so. I, I don't know the answer to that. We just know he can appear as an angel of light. Okay. Yeah. You got All right. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. All right, man. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're, gonna, we're doing kind of potluck shots here. I don't have anything on the screen. Let's try it. Hey, line three, you got 30 seconds. Hey, Sean, this is uh, the guy uh, This is the guy from Logan, the young man. <laughs> yes. Well, I just uh, wanted to uh, comment about socialite after Mormonism. Uh, I love the fact that I have, you know, uh, some uh, new Christian uh, friends who uh, have uh, shown a Christ Christ-like love, unlike the uh, uh, phony, seductive love that I got that lured me into the LDS Church. Yeah. And I, uh, another uh, aspect that I've uh, noticed is... Uh, you know what, Robert? We're absolutely out of time. But I really right. appreciate it. We'll get you the next time around. Listen, join us next week. We're going to finalize Joseph Smith's dissociative mind, and then we're going to go on to Brigham Young, which is going to open up a whole new can of worms. See you then.
gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage 